Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. Ready? All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. <laughs> Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Welcome to another edition of the Action Network podcast. This will be an NFL fantasy football edition to help you guys get ready for the upcoming fantasy season and all your drafts. Today, we will be talking all about the first few rounds of the draft, the top 50, the fantasy studs at each position. I am Chris Raybon of the Action Network. And here to help me out, Sean Corner, a.k.a. The Odds Maker, and special guest. We're really excited to have him here with us talking today, Dave Richard of CBA Sports. Dave, thanks for taking the time out to join us. Really excited to talk to you about this uh, Top 50 today. I, I'm really excited to talk to you guys. I see both of you on Twitter all the time. I never spoke to either of you until right now. And I'll tell you what, I really admire the work and effort that you guys put in to fantasy football to the NFL in general, and for, for several days, I've honestly been looking forward to this. So thank you so much for inviting me. Let's talk some football. Dave, thanks. That really means a lot. Yeah. And, you know, that's why we have the feeling is mutual. That's why we're all here. So let's, let's jump right into it because we want to talk about, you know, kind of walk the listeners through each round of the draft, talk about who we're drafting over whom and why. So Dave, I want to kick it to you first because, you know, we are going to talk all this top 50, but let's get this out of the way now since people love sleepers just give us some of your favorite sleepers that you're targeting in 2019 uh, a lot of them are rookies um at running back damian harris darwin thompson devin mm -hmm. singletary um i guess those are the three d's their names all start with a D. <laughs> uh, i'm excited about all three of them i love the idea of drafting them and waiting for them to pay off for my fantasy squad one month six weeks into the season <laughs> <laughs> which listen a lot of people do not want to wait that long for these guys to to pop off but if if you remember nick chubb last year i think each of those running backs have the chance to do what chubb did which is get the opportunity and then just take over with it and yes even darwin thompson in kansas city paris campbell i've had a crush on since i scouted him and when he went to indianapolis i just i i fell in love I think he's going to be outstanding there. I think the offensive fit is perfect for him. Kind of wish he'd get healthy. You know, hamstring issue that's been keeping him out of cap. And Andrew Luck with his calf injury, that's got to get fixed too. And then at tight end, not a rookie, but a second-year player, Mark Andrews with the Ravens. I think people are starting to catch on to him. But there, there was not a better target for Lamar Jackson to lean on last year than Mark Andrews. Caught 13 of 20 targets from him. A bunch of them were deeper targets. For whatever reason, he couldn't connect with his receivers, but he could get the job done with Andrews, and he's just the better route runner and the better football player uh, in that Ravens tight end room, and I think he's going to play on the field every single down for Baltimore this year. Yeah, I think they have to because, you know, Jackson's still coming along, still progressing as a passer. You can't afford to take a guy like Andrews, who you had a lot of chemistry with off the field. I, he will indeed be featured. And I think going back to what you said about Harris, uh, the rookie for New England, I mean, this is a team that begins with the end in mind pretty much every year. You know, that the team they're going to kind of field in January, December, January is not the same 
team they're going to field in in September, and they're not going to run the same things necessarily. So I think Harris, because Michelle got 23 carries per game in the playoffs last year, they might want to use Harris early on to preserve Michelle, who's already banged up. So I uh, really like the Harris call oh. as well. I'll, I'll tell you what really sold me on it. Like, first of all, Harris was my number two ranked running back um, coming into the draft. You can probably guess who number one was. And we, <laughs> we had an interview with Ben Volan from the Boston Globe on our podcast, the Fantasy Football Today podcast. And he told us that one of the reasons that they drafted Harris was because he was so good in short yardage situations, and Sony wasn't. And I heard that, and I thought, oh, there's no way. Like, Sony had to have been better. And I went back and checked, and Sony Michelle had a 51% conversion rate on downs of three yards or less. In college, and granted, it's college, but last year, Damian Harris had a 62.5% conversion rate on the same thing. So I wonder if they, they just want a healthier body, a younger body, and one that's done that short yardage job well to be there in case Sony doesn't. Because that, that, that's been a sticking point for Belichick for as long as I can remember. That if he, if he doesn't have a back that can consistently get that fourth and short or you know, second and goal from the one, he, he gets angry. That's, that's something that he thinks his running back should get every time. And I think Harris can do that for them with some regular consistency. And I'm not sold that Sony, A, can do it as consistently, or B, will be available to do it as consistently. So that's why I, I like Harris um, round nine or later. Yeah, and you know we had Jake Seeley on here about a week ago, and he talked about every year it seems like you invest in the cheapest member of the Pats' backfield, and you get the best ROI. Because remember last year everyone was drafting Rex Burkhead, I think, uh, you know, highest, and you know that didn't turn out well. So love the Harris call, uh, Sean. How about you? Who who are you targeting uh, as some sleepers here in 2019? So for me, some of my sleepers, uh, well, number one, uh, I've been harp on him all offseason, but Latavius Murray, his uh, ADP is an absolute joke uh, as the uh, RB36 right now. Um, you know, even if he doesn't take over the full Mark Ingram role, I think it could be closer to 60 to 80% of that. And, you know, he should be a consistent RB3 flex guy to start the year. But you also have the hidden upside of if Alvin Kamara were to ever Miss time, uh, Latavius Murray would be a low-end RB1. So I just love getting him at his current ADP um, with the with the hidden upside baked in. Um, and then at QB, Jameis Winston's the guy I've been getting super late. Um, typically want to wait as long as possible at QB, but, you know, Jameis Winston, uh, he has, you know, easy top five potential that you can get super late. So I've been – he's been working into my draft strategy quite a bit. And then uh, the other thing I've been – sort of brainstorming is, uh, you know, I've been trying to peg who's going to become the wide receiver two for the Packers and Steelers. So in certain drafts, I just take both James Washington and Dante Moncrief or take both Marquez Vol Valdez-Scantling and Geronimo Allison on the same team. Um, you know, that way you're just kind of guaranteeing, uh, you know, one of them will break out. Um, so I've been, I've been using, you know, once you get to round 10, doing something like that, um, it might sound a little bit hedgy, but I think it's it's a good way to kind of guarantee, you know, a solid top end uh, option on your bench at receiver. So that's that's been a strategy I've been using the past couple weeks. We we implore that strategy. We don't recommend it always, but we talk about yeah. it. A lot. So I guess implore, implore wasn't the right word, but we call it the friendship strategy where and it's a silly name. But you remember what it is where you get two receivers on the same team that are connected, mm -hmm. expecting one of them to be that guy. And I, I, I thought Allison, when, when I heard about him going into the slot in Green Bay, uh, 
Uh, I thought about Matt LaFleur's previous stops where he had tall slot receivers. Cooper Cup was that guy. Uh, Mohamed Sanu was that guy. And I could see Allison being that guy that could rack up six to seven targets per game. Maybe not necessarily have a great receiving average. Slot receivers typically don't. But he could be a nice, safe number three receiver for you. Absolutely. I mean, and I don't think it's out of the question in Green Bay that both Allison and Valdez Scantling have value because we know how good Aaron Rodgers is and we know how much Jimmy Graham is slowing down. So they don't tend to throw to the back a ton. Aaron Jones can catch the ball, but not really something he has done at a high volume in the past. So you're looking at, yeah, Adams is going to get his, but you're looking at uh, Allison and Valdez Scantling, perhaps both, uh, coming close to four catches a game, I think, um, if Jimmy Graham continues to play like he did last season. So I think that's a, a an interesting strategy. And I think especially in Green Bay, both of those guys are worth uh, top 100 picks. For me, I'll go a little deeper. A couple of guys that I think are could end up leading their team or at least their team's receivers in targets this year. Uh, John Brown in Buffalo. Uh, Adam Kaplan has been going to all the camps. And, you know, he he really has singled out Brown a ton as a guy that's operating essentially as their their number one at this point, Robert Foster operating as his backup. I think Foster's talented, but uh, we know Josh Allen can throw deep. Uh, had a, an amazing uh, rapport with Foster last year, who averaged over 20 yards per target uh, in, t- in terms of target depth and still caught over 60% of his passes. So uh, if John Brown can kind of uh, slide into that role, he was doing a lot better before uh, you know Joe Flacco went down and they switched to Lamar Jackson, who's a whole different kind of quarterback. And in, in Baltimore, I think Miles Boykin, uh, the rookie, he actually might separate himself. I know a lot of people uh, were going for Marquise Brown first, who got drafted in round one, but it looks like Boykin has been that guy at camp that's kind of stood out and, and could emerge as that, that go-to guy um, outside of Andrews in Baltimore. So those are a couple of guys I'm looking at. And of course, Keyshawn Johnson in Arizona uh, reports are he is the clear number three right now. So uh, I think that's a role to pay attention to because that team is going to play at a very high pace. And you have a guy like Larry Fitzgerald who um, getting up there in age. You have Christian Kirk who entering his second year I really like, but um, did you know end the year with an injury. So those are the three guys that, that I'm looking at at receiver. But Dave, I want to get your thoughts on what I think is something that's really important for people uh, in these drafts. And it's not, you know, everyone kind of looks at rankings, but you know, you come out with uh, various iterations of your positional tiers article, as does Sean. And I just want to get your thoughts on the importance of tiering, you know, tell people what it is and why you do it and how it's kind of superior to just using rankings on their own. So as you guys know, a rank list, it's just a bunch of names in order by position. The tiers add some context to it because you group players together based on your expectations for them. For example, if, if I wanted to put the running backs that I have for 1,500 plus total yards and 10 plus total touchdowns in the same tier, it would pretty much be the the running backs at the top of my list. So in PPR, that's Alvin Kamara, it's Saquon Barkley, it's Christian McCaffrey, it's Ezekiel Elliott. That's it. That's the whole tier. It's just four names. But then right under that tier is the next tier, and that might be 1,409. Not a big difference, but it's another grouping of running backs. And I, I like to group them together So I can see when I'm doing my draft or my auction, and it really comes in handy in an auction, guys, where where the players are starting to go off the board fast, when I need to attack a tier. Say I'm picking toward the end of round two. My pick's coming up. I only see one running back left in that second tier. I see three or four receivers that are in the highest available tier. I'll go to that running back knowing that I can get one of those receivers 
coming back to me in round three. It helps set a map on draft day for you to make smarter picks. And in auctions, it helps you spend your, your, your dollars wisely so that you don't overspend for somebody um, and that you don't actually set the market necessarily for a player. You might even be able to get a discount for a player um, in the same tier as another player who went for five to 7% more. So Dave, you know, when you're using these tiers, does the overall construction of your team up until that point come into play as well? For example, let's say you're in the fourth round and that running back tier is kind of thinning out, but you only start two running backs and you start three receivers. Do do you go for a third running back before you draft that third receiver based on, you know, kind of what's available in the tiers or or how do you go about that? Well, that's a great question. And when you throw in third receiver, that makes it more likely that I'm going to ignore the running back and go get the receiver, but it also depends on what's left in the receiving tier. Now, it just so happens this year that I think the receiving depth in fantasy is second to only quarterback in terms of depth. Quarterback, you can wait forever on. Sean's right. When it comes to guys like Jameis Winston, makes perfect sense to just wait, wait, wait. I think you can wait to a degree with wide receivers. You can't do it with the elite guys. If you got to have a, a stud number one receiver in your lineup, you got to go after him early. But after that, you can make a case for maybe 25 receivers to be strictly number two guy while eliminating the ones that are obvious number one guys. And if, if I see the receivers that are left and I think a couple of them have a chance to make it back to me with my next pick and I recognize that that running back talent pool is draining quick, yeah, I'm, I'm going to head in that direction even when three receivers are, are mandatory in the league. A, because I want that running back depth to help support my team throughout the year. And B, I'm confident that even if I pick the wrong receivers on draft day, I can find the right ones off waivers during the year. Hey, Sean, I'm going to kick it to you now. Uh, You've kind of had a strategy based on your tiers where you are targeting two of those elite guys if you can get it. So just talk a little bit about, you know, kind of why you're doing that and and why it kind of has differed from years past. I typically like to be at the back end of the draft to, you know, employ a strategy. But, um, yeah, I try to target two wide receivers early on. Uh, I try to lock in two guys in this elite uh, wide receiver one tier. And, and the reason is during the season, it's very possible you're going to be able to pick up, uh, you know, potential RB2 or even RB1. I mean, that is just not possible at receiver. At the end of the year, if you look at the top 10 receivers, it's all guys that we spent high draft capital on. But, you know, running back, you can get lucky. Um, if you utilize my, you know, hoarding running back strategy, um, it's it's a little bit easier to get lucky. So I, I think this year, especially since I, wide receivers drop off quite a bit for me after, say, the top 20. And then it's just kind of a big, massive tier that I kind of just let fall to me. I let the, the draft dictate who, you know, becomes my bench depth. But at running back, I mean, <laughs> the the RB2 tier is way better than last year. So I've been I've been typically attacking receiver for the first couple rounds and then attacking the RB2 tier uh, rounds three and four, which is almost the exact opposite of what my strategy was last year. And uh, it's it sounds like the opposite of what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> which is good, I, it, it's cool that this is what makes fantasy great, by the way, <laughs> is that there's no one right way to do it. And if there was one right way to do it, then everybody would do it that way. I think where you draft in round one kind of sets the tone for this. Like, Sean, I I don't see how you could do your strategy if you have the number one overall pick and you've got a chance at one of those elite running backs. And and maybe you'll tell me that you will go receiver over Saquon or Kamara. But if you're picking late in round one and early in round two, this is where I would agree with you. I think going receiver, receiver, and I'm just now coming around on this. uh, I I think that that's probably the, the way to go in a PPR. 
that's what I'm trying to emphasize is, you know, your draft order basically dictates your first few rounds, uh, much as we hate to admit that all the prep we do before a draft, once you get your draft order, you kind of are pitted into like the small range of outcomes you can do. So yeah, if I get a first five pick, you know, I'm going running back first and then attacking the the high end uh, wide receiver twos in rounds two and three. So yeah, it's a similar strategy, but just a little, a little bit flipped depending on what, what pick I get. Do you have a spot yeah. where you know you're going to go receiver? Anywhere between 6 and 12. Okay. And it, yeah, either go Kelsey or wide receiver first. Okay, so you, you'll pass on David Johnson, James Conner. No, that's uh, David Johnson would be the cutoff. I think after the top five picks, it's pretty much open season for receivers and Kelsey, in my opinion. Okay, I just now kind of came to this conclusion. Um, literally 24 hours ago, I was weighing the idea of Le'Veon Bell as a first-round pick in PPR, and I just I, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it. There, there's just there are too many factors just going against him that I would rather go receiver, receiver, or Kelsey receiver with my first two picks than have Le'Veon Bell on my team in round one. Now it's a different story if I get a receiver in round one and Le'Veon is there for me in round two, I might consider him there, but I'm I'm not going after him like some people are going after him. Some people have Le'Veon Bell as their number five overall pick. And I just, I can't get behind it. There's, there's just too much that I don't like about Le'Veon. I think it really comes down to also, we should, as you guys alluded to, your kind of league settings and your draft slot, but also your, you know, your, your, your lineup requirements. Because if you need, let's say, a flex and you're only starting two receivers and two running backs and then your, your flex could be whoever, I think it changes kind of where you want to pick Le'Veon Bell versus if you're, you're in kind of a two receiver, three, uh, two running back, three receiver, one flex, you might want to start four receivers just the way positional depth kind of breaks out. So then it kind of changes things. So Dave, I think I got what you were kind of saying about there are about 20 guys who you, who you could feel comfortable starting as these wide receiver two flex type of guys. And I think, I think we're all on the same page there. There's just kind of an elite tier uh, of top guys. You can't really replace them. And then after that, you could make a case that almost anyone can replace anyone uh, of these next kind of, you know, 20, 25 oh, guys. Yeah, I, I, I want to make it clear. I don't think you can find a, a number one wide receiver off waiver. Yeah. But last year, I toyed with the strategy of streaming my wide receiver too. And uh, once I found a guy last year that, like a Tyler Boyd came on my team, and I was good to go with him until he broke down. But... I, I didn't mind making that the weak spot in my lineup uh, on draft day. Because everybody, you got to do it with one spot. You can't have a perfect, yeah. unless you get really lucky. Um, you can wait on quarterback. I don't like to wait on tight end. I want to have my running backs covered because I just, I, I agree. I think hoarding running backs, that's been something that I've been doing for a long time. I love that. Maybe anchoring my lineup with one stud receiver and then starting to collect more receivers in round six plus. That's probably going to be among my favorite strategies to do this year provided I don't have to start three receivers and a flex. If it's two wide receivers and one flex, something like that, it's what you see in most leagues. Uh, yeah, I, I like waiting for that second receiver. That's a very interesting strategy, streaming your wide receiver too, or just streaming your last wide receiver period. Because I could see that even in, let's say you do have a, a third receiver and still a flex, you're probably going to kind of want to balance your team out a little more because we know running, the way I like to think about it is this. For every position you're starting, like you're starting two running backs, well, they're, they're two bye weeks, so that means you need two extra starts throughout the year at least. Um, perhaps three, if depending on you know what, what's happening um, with with them having the same bye week. But you need at least two weeks, uh, two extra starts. Then running backs miss about two to three games a year. So then now you're up to anywhere from you know eight to you know about eight starts that you need. You need a whole another player 
uh, that's kind of starting caliber at that position. Um, and adding a flex only increases that. And then wide receivers, they don't miss quite as many games, but you still have bye weeks. So um, there are just a lot more kind of guys in that wide receiver, you know, that last wide receiver position that you could kind of uh, cycle back and forth between depending on the matchup. So that's a that's a really interesting strategy. And we got to talk more about that as the as we get into the show. But I want to kind of start to walk the listeners through um, just, uh, you know, round by round, starting at the top in the first round. So, Dave, you know, who who's the number one pick in fantasy? Does it change at all, whether it's, you know, PPR or, or standard and just kind of. After that, you know, what's your general, you know, top three, top four guys or just first tier guys that you're looking at um, in 2019? Well, it, it does depend on scoring system. And if catches count, uh, I'm going to tap into the hyper efficiency of Alvin Kamara, who I think will see a little bit more work this year than he's had in the past. And I, I just I like the, the the Saints offense a ton, really buy into Sean Payton, not worried about the offensive line losing much with. Max Unger going. I know Max Unger's good, but he's been playing beat up at least the last season, if not the last couple. And uh, and I liked Eric McCoy coming out of AM. Uh, so he's my number one. And it's kind of crazy to not take Saquon Barkley number one overall because he's a do it all young running back with strong legs and good hands. But I'm I'm a little nervous about how defenses are going to view him now that the Giants don't have Odell Beckham to scare the safeties back and to maybe put the linebackers back a step and I do like Evan Ingram, but I don't know if he's going to stretch defenses like OBJ did. But Saquon is my number two, so it's a nitpick between them. McCaffrey is the obvious three, and then Ezekiel Elliott is fourth. I think his catches come down from last year, but I think his touchdowns go way up. And that's assuming that he actually, you know, shows up, <laughs> plays football. You know, that's kind of an important requirement. And then once those guys are gone, I, I kind of toggle back and forth between, and again, this is relative to PPR and, and not PPR, so I'll talk about PPR. I, I, think, I think DeAndre Hopkins is safe and explosive. I think Julio Jones is a little less safe, like a half step less safe, but still very explosive. And I'm not, I'm not a Devontae Freeman guy. I'm worried about his workload. I think the Falcons are going to throw a ton. They're going to be in a bunch of high-scoring games this year. Uh, Dirk Cutter likes to throw the ball a lot. I'm not I'm not buying this. We're going to run the ball a ton and control games with defense. It's not going to happen in Atlanta. They're going to throw the ball a lot, and Julio is going to be very good. And then David Johnson comes into play for me then because I think he's got 80 catch potential. Love the offense that's coming into play in Arizona. I could probably go on 20 minutes about Kyler Murray and what I expect yes. him. But the fact that David Johnson's going to play out a shotgun next to Kyler Murray and do the zone read with him it's going to drive defenses insane. I know the offensive line isn't very good in Arizona, but it's better than it was last year. And David Johnson won't be miscast as a, as a, I don't know what the hell the coaches were thinking last year in Arizona, but they did not use him the right way. I'm confident that Cliff Kingsbury will. I know for a fact that Kingsbury thinks that David Johnson's a stud. That's not saying much. So I'm willing to take him ahead of Devontae Adams, James Conner, uh, Travis Kelsey, Odell Beckham, Juju Smith-Schuster, and those other players who are good first-round picks, but not guys I'm, I'm ready to take ahead of David Johnson, given Johnson's, goodness, 1,500 total yards might be low for him in this offense. It could be closer to 1,800 total yards. Yeah, I think Johnson, and you kind of hit on it, the O-line might not be good, but lining up in shotgun, that spread offensive scheme, it's going to mitigate 
the deficiencies of the O-line. And Johnson is a guy who has expressed the desire to kind of go for a hundred, uh, excuse me, for a thousand rushing and receiving yards. And so he has the talent to do that. You might be right. That 1500 number might just be low. I I wanna... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, it might be a little bit low. And listen, you ask any NFL player what their goals are and they'll, they'll tell you a thousand. I once had a prominent tight end told me, tell me that not only did he want to catch for a thousand yards, he wanted to run for a thousand yards. <laughs> and it didn't uh. happen. He never did. Um, but he, Johnson's the one that carries a little bit of risk compared to everybody else that we're talking about taking with a top eight overall pick. But I'm, I'm willing to take that chance with him because I think the situation's so good. Sean, so, you know, Dave kind of outlined his tiers. There's kind of, a, you know, four running backs I think we're in agreement with. But I did want to get your thoughts on kind of the second the, the, the second tier of overall picks, but the first tier of wide receivers, because it seems like Dave is higher on Julio um, than Devontae Adams. And I know, I think, I believe you have kind of Hopkins and Adams in, in their own tier. I know a lot of other, that's kind of how the ADP is shaken out as well. So talk to me about those guys and, and how you see the, that tier shaken out where and where Julio belongs. Yeah, so, I mean, first off, I think the top eight wide receivers are all, you know, technically part of the elite tier, but I have Devontae Adams and DeAndre Hopkins in their own um, little mini tier. So the, the first wide receiver off the board, I think should be either one of them. I actually have them exactly tied in half point PPR projected points. Uh, but I, I've been leaning Adams just because, um, you know, last year he led the league in red zone targets, only playing 15 games. Um, he actually matched uh, Hopkins point total and half point PPR last year, despite the missed game. And, you know, Hopkins is going to have to deal with uh, Kiki QT and Will Fuller healthier this year. And, you know, Devontae Adams should only improve with, uh, you know, Rodgers improving this year. Rodgers only threw uh, 25 touchdowns last year. So I think, you know, that's going to help Bowie Adams' floor. And, uh, you know, I think he still has overall wide receiver one ceiling. So, you know, I usually just go with Adams first if I can. But, um, you know, on the way back, any of these other receivers, Juju Smith, Julio Jones, Odell Beckham, Tyreek Hill, I have them all separated by about three points total. So the whole points of tiers for me is I don't really pull out my hair trying to figure out which one. I would be happy if I get two out of any of these top eight receivers. But I have been leaning towards Odell being sort of the the third guy. I just think his his ceiling in that Browns offense is extremely high. And, you know, Julio, I think we've, you know, come to realize he's he's never gonna be that 10 touchdown guy we we hope. So with him, he sort of gives you that safe floor with his yardage. But I think Odell could have the upside of, you know, um, 1,500 uh, receiving yards and touchdowns. So I think at this point, I'm, go- I'm going for the higher ceiling guy. And for me, that's Odell. Yeah, that's interesting because usually when we're, you know, early on in these drafts, we talk about we're trying to maximize our floor. Um, Dave, is that something that, you, that you're kind of thinking about here in, in, these, in this first round, first couple of rounds, you know, floor versus ceiling? Or is it just kind of more, you know, projecting these guys out and wherever the median is, that's how you're kind of uh, going? I'll probably consider floor versus ceiling across positions and not necessarily with these top four running backs. I think all four of these guys have nice, sturdy floors. And, and I, I almost feel like they all have the same type of ceiling. I think they could all get to... 1600 yards and 12 touchdowns. I think they all have it in them. Even Julio Jones, who's only had double digit touchdowns once. And when he did have it, it was Dirk Cutter calling the plays for Atlanta. I'm, I, I get why Devonta Adams is, is Sean's number one. And 
I, I debate this with Jamie Eisenberg on our podcast all the time because I believe that's his number one. Very safe pick. If, you, if you're looking for the safest pick at wide receiver this year, um, Devonta Adams is it. He was, I believe, number one in consistency last year, finished top two regardless of format. And you know, we talk about Geronimo Allison and Valdez Scantling having, having a hand in the offense. I don't think they're going to do enough to, to shorten um, the targets for Devonta Adams. If, if there's a concern, and this is where I might ultimately make a change, it's that I think Matt LaFleur wants to run the ball a little bit more. And I think it could be just enough that it, it takes away targets from everybody in Green Bay. It takes Aaron Rodgers' attempts down, I don't know, 30 attempts over the course of the season, maybe closer to 50 if Aaron Jones has his way. But Jones is hurt right now. I'm starting to sour on Aaron Jones. And the more I sour on Jones and the more I realize that, wow, the Packers might not have a great run game for God, it seems, it seems like they rarely have a good run game when Aaron Rodgers is there. Then Devonta Adams makes more sense as a potential number one overall receiver. Adams, it's just been unprecedented with the touchdown scoring. I think over these past couple of years, you know, double digit touchdowns, you know, pretty much every year. And you just see it last year watching the tape. Aaron Rodgers doesn't have many guys he trusts out there and the defense knows it. They're double teaming him, sometimes triple teaming Adams. And somehow... He manages to find his way to get open in the back of the end zone. It, yeah, it's uncanny what Adams has been able to do. So I, I think he's still a top two guy for me that, that I am taking over Julio. But I mean, Julio led the league in, in receiving yards per game by about eight last year. So, uh, you know, if he just gets those touchdowns kind of in concert with his yardage and touchdowns are the most volatile statistics. So the regression to the mean is working in, in the favor of, you know, Julio and, and against Adams a little bit because Adams has just been such an outlier. So I could definitely, you could definitely make a case for it. Um, and, and I think that's kind of the point we're getting at here. You know, you have these tiers and within these tiers, you have these mini tiers, but the bottom line is early on in these drafts, I think people shouldn't be kind of pulling their hair out over A versus B necessarily. Like if, mm-hmm. if somebody has a bust year in, in this top, you know, top tier, top couple of tiers, it's not going to necessarily be something you predicted as much as it's going to be some bad injury luck or, or something like that, whether it's the, the receiver themselves or the running back or, or the quarterback on the offense, something else. So uh, let's keep going down the line here and, and talk about some more of these receivers, and then we'll kind of get to tight end. But that next tier, you know, people are considering Julio or, or kind of that, that mini elite tier within the, the, the top tier of receivers. You got Michael Thomas, who I see goes third in a lot of places. Odell, you know, Sean, any of these guys – you know, I know you said you kind of don't mind taking all of them, but I guess who would you put at the bottom of the tier? Let's, let's put it that way. You know, Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, where does the tier cut off elite guys? And why do you have the guy ranked lowest that you do? So the the guy I have cutting it off would be Mike Evans at eight. But I, I wouldn't actually mind him falling to me. I think the guy that I'm mostly avoiding in this tier, uh, usually because he goes, you know, before I can even get him. But Michael Thomas is the only guy that I'm a bit worried about. Just he showed last year that his floor is pretty low. Uh, you know, along with Drew Brees, there were seven games last year where Drew Brees threw for under 220 yards. They're just not the same offenses before where, you know, they're shooting for 5,000 uh, passing yards. So, you know, Thomas had, I think it was four times last year he finished outside of the top 50. And you kind of alluded to earlier when when we're targeting guys in this tier, we, we just want the ultimate high ceiling, high floor uh, type of receiver. And they all kind of provide that. But Thomas, um, I don't know, his, his floor just seems a little low. Hopefully, you know, Traquan Smith, 
having a year two breakout or Ted Ginn uh, being healthy or, you know, Jared Cook can distract the defenses enough where they can give them some consistent usage and, you know, defenses can't just double team them in certain matchups. So, uh, but the, you know, the guy that I'm just kind of shying away from a bit in this tier would be Michael Thomas. I get that, but he is in that second tier for me. Uh, my second tier goes deeper than yours, Sean. I've got another player who I'm trying to shy away from and that's Antonio Brown. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Sweetfeet, if you see him on Instagram. But I also have Amari Cooper in that second tier. And I'm not going to take him where I'm taking Michael Thomas, Mike Evans. Uh, I'll probably even take A.B. out of Amari Cooper. But I love the consistency in targets that he got with the Cowboys last year. He had seven or more targets in nine of 11 games with Dallas. And I'm a, I'm a big believer in Kellen Moore. They're, that's the new play caller for the Cowboys. He's keeping the playbook from last year because he came up in that playbook when he entered the NFL. And I think he's going to be far more creative. He's got that Boise State background. He's a coach's son. He loves football. He's played quarterback. And, and I think that Amari Cooper might be able to scrape 1,300 yards and nine touchdowns this year, which is a lot. We never see Amari Cooper get numbers like that. But I think that's something he can definitely get to. And so he would probably be toward the bottom of my second tier. And I think that's interesting because that that's when you start thinking about quarterback, because, uh, you know, I'm starting to kind of feel the same way about Odell kind of at the high end of that tier, even though he does have some injury concerns, because I just think Baker Mayfield gives him tremendous upside. Um, and it's the reason we're not re- totally worried about, you know, I think all of us have Juju Smith-Schuster uh, ahead of Antonio Brown, because yep. we're not really worried about Ben Roethlisberger, especially, um, you know, when when AB now is going to have to catch passes from Carr. So I think the interesting thing, and it kind of applies to, to not only Cooper, but also Antonio Brown, is that these are Amari Cooper's uh, positional ADPs, so wide receiver ADPs, all four years of his career, and then his actual finish. His rookie year, he was the wide receiver 14 in ADP, finished uh, 21st. 2016, he was the wide receiver 12 in ADP, finished 16th. Uh, 2017, the wide receiver 8 in ADP, finished 34th. And then 2018, the wide receiver 14 in ADP and finished 33rd. So Amari Cooper has never outkicked his rank. Or should we say Derek Carr's yeah. top guy has never, you know, because I think that's what it comes down to. And that and that really um, now I think is the one reason for pause with Antonio Brown, because, I mean, let's be serious. You know, yeah, he had a little bit of a drop off last year. I think some of that was due to Roethlisberger. If this guy is right, he's still the best receiver in football on talent, I think. No worse than, than two, maybe three depending how you feel about Julio and Odell. But, um, you know, is Carr a concern for Antonio Brown? Uh, yeah, big one. When you think about Antonio Brown and, and who he's caught touchdowns from, and I'm talking every single touchdown he's ever caught, it's from <laughs> Roethlisberger. They spent six years together. They had incredible chemistry. It was a good, aggressive offense that had everything you could ask for, including another receiver. Typically, there was another receiver playing across from A.B. to help A.B. stay away from double coverage. Not that double coverage was a problem for him. And I, I just think that Derek Carr is a huge step down. I, I really do. I don't think he's going to be able to put up the type of, of numbers with Brown that we're used to seeing Roethlisberger put up, much less Brown put up. And I, I think Antonio, again, if he's right, I feel like his ceiling is maybe 1,200 yards, but maybe 10, 11 touchdowns, maybe. And even that might be a little too aggressive. I'm trying to stay away from Antonio Brown. I don't like his ADP, which is like right around 18, 19, I believe. I haven't been shying away from him. And that's because I, I still do think he's, I think his ceiling yardage wise is a little bit higher because um, the thing about Carr that worries me, he's, he's not very aggressive. He likes to just get rid of the ball 
really quickly. Perhaps that had something to do with the you know injury he sustained a couple years ago. But uh, I noticed his completion percentage extremely high last year. Most of his receivers high 60s or low 70s in catch rate. So I think especially in PPR, AB could still get a lot of catches. And when you're putting the ball in his hands, uh, good things tend to happen. So I'm not shying away. Um, but I do see your point. I think the touchdowns is where you really worry because, I mean, Amari Cooper, we talked about Julio. Amari Cooper, <laughs> another guy that until he went to Dallas, the touchdowns were not really there for him. Um, and we kind of talked about the red zone struggles and, um, you know, Crabtree kind of picked up the slack. So yeah. it's hard to say, but 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 uh, I would say Antonio Brown closer to a Cooper than, than a Crabtree in terms of his style of play. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. There's no doubt about that. And then John Gruden's style, the offense that he's, he's running, it's West Coast. It's a lot of short passes. So last year, Derek Carr was just doing exactly what John Gruden asked him to do, which is throw it short, let the receiver make a play after the catch. You'd like to think that that would fit Antonio Brown perfectly. But, I, I mean, there were times last year where A.B. was freelancing out there and Ro- the, he and Roethlisberger weren't on the same page. And there's, there's, there will be some growing pains between those two this year. It will not be a seamless transition. And it, it just scares me off of Antonio Brown as a second rounder. I mean, who would have thought we'd be sitting here in 2019 and let's say you start your draft, Todd Gurley, Antonio Brown, and you wouldn't, you might not be feeling that great about it. I mean, <laughs> that's how much these things can kind of change in a heartbeat. But uh, Sean, I'm going to kick it to you because one thing we haven't talked about yet really is tight end. And uh, I'll start with you. What, when is the appropriate time to draft Travis Kelsey? Well, I mean, once the top five running backs are off the board, I think you can make a case that's the appropriate time to take them. Um, I haven't been that bold typically, but I wouldn't you know, argue if someone does. Just, you know, the thing with tight end and doing tiers and projections, you just understand position scarcity. And I have about a 40-point drop-off from Kelsey to the other two tight ends. And then there's another 35-point drop-off from there. So when you take Kelsey, you're just locking in that massive drop-off. So, you know, when you're in a draft, you're kind of trying to take advantage of these drop-offs with tiers. And I have Kelsey in a tier all by himself. So I think if you have, you know, pick 7 through 10, you could really consider taking Kelsey. And then you still will probably get one of the top elite wide receivers we're talking about. And I think that's a really good start. Um, and then you can, you know, attack running back the for rounds three and four. But I, I think when it comes to tight end, I kind of just let the draft come to me. You have these specific tiers at tight end where, um, you know, based on how your league is drafting, it kind of it just essentially makes my tight end case for me. So uh, the only real decision I have to make is between – Pick seven through 10, do you go with Kelsey? And I think the answer uh, is yes. Uh, if he falls to you round two, you should absolutely scoop him up. There's absolutely no reason he should be falling to round two just based on the uh, position scarcity and the drop-off between the top three guys. A fantasy manager has to decide how important tight end is to him or her before going into the draft. And if, if you look at the tight ends and you say, you know what? I think Evan Ingram can have a breakout year or OJ Howard can break out or Hunter Henry is going to be, you know, as better than he's ever been. Then taking Travis Kelsey early probably isn't for you. And if you're the type of fantasy manager who likes to stream tight ends, maybe you like to stab yourself in the eye with that <laughs> or something like that, you know, whatever you like to do for fun, that's on you. But if, if you like to stream tight ends, then you're not going to take a tight end early. I think you get such an advantage in your lineup. When you get one of those big three tight ends, Kelsey Kittle Erks, that it's it's worth grabbing them sooner than you're used to grabbing them in fantasy. And when you're picking late in round one and early in round two, 
you're you're going to look goofy for taking Killer Ertz with either of those picks. So really, the only one that there's a question in taking is Kelsey. And if you want to beat the rest of your league to the punch, you have to do it in the first round. So I, I don't know if I can pull the trigger on Travis Kelsey between fifth and ninth overall, but tenth overall I think is is the the spot where you can grab Kelsey. You're you're taking him away from the drafters at the eleventh spot and the twelfth spot. They'll each have two picks, and then you're still getting a really good player, probably a receiver in the second round. And then you, in theory, don't have to worry about tight end for the rest of the year. You've got your stud. He's going to play like a wide receiver one in your tight end spot. If you happen to find a great wide receiver later on, be it in the draft or on waivers, your lineup is going to be so strong compared to everybody else in the league. So I I agree. Travis Kelsey, if if he's there in round two, take him. And even if he's there in late round one, you should take him. If someone goes ahead and employs that strategy, they draft Kelsey perhaps in round one, a guy who they're going to be faced with potentially taking uh, because they, they skipped out on a running back is Todd Gurley. Where are you on Todd Gurley? How early is too early? I am so far away from Todd Gurley that it's, <laughs> it, it is kind of funny. I, I talked with his trainer about a month ago, maybe a little less than a month ago, and he basically confirmed that he's got an arthritic condition in his knee. Also confirmed that he's not going to play in the preseason. And you guys already know that he didn't do anything in, in minicamp. He's going to take it easy in training camp. So I've, I'm nervous about him holding up for 16. But I'm encouraged by the Rams letting him loose against the Chargers in a joint practice. And that just happened uh, this past weekend. And maybe there's a chance that Todd Gurley stays healthy for 16 games. But it, it almost feels like that knee is a, is a, is a bomb waiting to go off. And you don't know if it's going to happen in the middle of the game. You don't know if it's going to happen on a practice on Wednesday or a Thursday. If his knee gets inflamed, is he going to sit out for a week? Does it extend to two or three weeks? And is he still going to get the 22 and a half touches per game that he had last year? And I think the answer to that one is an easy no after they drafted Daryl Anderson and brought back Malcolm Brown. So because I'm nervous about Todd Gurley and because somebody in every single draft will be the opposite of me, they will be excited to get Todd Gurley. You're going to see him go in round two or maybe even late round one. I'm out until probably closer to 30th overall, which means I'm not getting him. And I don't want the headache of having him. I mean, you know, I totally get it. I think when you look at his game logs down the stretch, over the last five games, including the postseason, he did not get more than 16 carries in any game, uh, as low as four in in a game. And that was against the the Saints in the the NFC title game. So the touches, the carries are going to go down. I think the only case you can make for him is, the touchdowns will probably still be there, um, probably will be used in high leverage situations. If you're going to kind of uh, conserve him, I-, I think it would make sense to kind of use him um, w- when you're trying to score or-, or on key, you know, key passing downs. But, uh, you know, I have no doubt that the touches will go down. Uh, Sean, you know, you got Gurley here. You know, you could take stud wide receivers. That's usually what you're doing. Um, so that, so that kind of means if-, if you're taking these stud receivers here, who are the running backs, I guess, that you're kind of fading early in drafts? Is Gurley, is, is it because you have guys like Gurley? And just talk to me about, you know, Gurley, Cook, Damian Williams, Frozen Pine, Frozen Pond guys, maybe? You know, talk to me about how, you know, how you feel about them and, and why you're kind of going with this, the receivers over them. Yeah, I, I guess you could call the bottom half of RB1 Frozen Pond, but that's not really the point of it because I do think they are all, you know, amazing running backs. Last year, the Frozen Pond was like, um, you know, Jordan Howard and Alex, Alex Collins. Collins going super early. So that was more of an indictment on them and their ability. 
than anything. But yeah, I mean, I'm on the same page as Dave. You know, Todd Gurley would have to fall to me at the end, end of round three to consider him. But yeah, when it comes to the first few rounds we talk about all the time, you're just basically trying to avoid landmines. And, you know, Todd Gurley has such a wide range of outcomes that, you know, a potential bust is a reality. So um, I typically target guys where, you know, they're, they're a smaller range of outcomes. We know what we're going to get early in the draft. And then at the, you know, towards the mid rounds or later in the draft, I go for a wide range of outcomes because that means we're getting that massive upside. So Todd Gurley, I've been avoiding also because he's just not part of my draft plan. Um, you know, he could fall to the end of round two or early round three where somebody's going to scoop him up. But those people already have a stud running back usually. So it doesn't really make sense to take a second running back there anyway. I think you should be taking two receivers, like you mentioned. Um, so even for him to even fit in my draft plan, he's going to have to fall all the way to the round three. And even then, I, I just think he's too scary right now um, to trust all year that I've been just letting someone else snag him. And usually someone does. Usually somebody reaches for him in the second or early third. So I, I've been getting almost zero shares of Gurley so far. I can tell you that the reason why people draft Gurley in late round two is because they are intoxicated with the idea of a lineup with Ezekiel Elliott and Todd Gurley. <laughs> and Todd Gurley. Because you put those two names together and you think, well, that's it. I'm going to win my fantasy league. It's over. I've got them both. It's, it's, I've got the two best running backs in football. That's what a lot of people are going to think. And they're, they're just not, they're not weighing the risk that's there with Todd Gurley. If you go back and look at his playoff games, he had four nice plays. Four. And I, I don't think he had a ton of carries. That might have represented about 10% of what he had. But the Rams ran 29 red zone plays in the playoffs. And Gurley was in on seven of them. So that stands out to me when you talk about those high leverage opportunities. Well, if Todd Gurley is anywhere close to being himself, wouldn't you put him in more of those opportunities in the playoffs, in the Super Bowl, when you're trying to, to you know win the Lombardi that really, when I saw that, that gave me even more pause on uh, on Gurley this year. Yeah, I think my favorite strategy for Gurley, if you are going to target him, is try to trade him um, after because I think I think he is healthier than he was down the stretch because I think he got hurt. Uh, what was it in that in that crazy game against the Chiefs or, or, or aggravated the knee in that game? And from then on, I think they tried to give him one more big workload the next week. And it didn't, you know, after that, it was just all 16 carries and under as low as four. But I think he's healthier than that, at least right now. Now, how long he stays that healthy remains to be seen. But if he starts off the year with a couple of big games and people are like, oh, hey, Todd Gurley's back. He's still getting his double digit touches. Um, he's efficient. Somebody will probably overpay for him then. So if you're going to be the person to overpay for him in a draft, at least try to make one of your fellow league mates overpay for him and get even more, get your you know value back for him and kind of lock yourself in. Uh, in better shape for those fantasy playoffs. That, that's kind of where I'm at with Todd Gurley entering uh, this season. But, uh, Dave, what about Melvin Gordon? You know, what should people do with him? Because you have Zeke, you, you know, I think you got to take him fourth because just the holdout situation. Where do, you, where do you value Melvin Gordon, who, even if he comes back, could be involved in a, you know, perhaps a three-back committee? Um, and we don't know where he's going to go if he gets traded. We don't know how many games he's going to miss. If any, he struggled with injuries. Like, what do you do with him? Chris, I am downright disrespectful with my ranking of Melvin Gordon. <laughs> in, in, the, in, in, in the situation that he's put himself in, I'm not looking at him until round five. I don't, I don't want to deal with it. And 
we're talking about a franchise. They, when they drafted Melvin Gordon, they did it to replace Ryan Matthews. When they drafted Ryan Matthews, they replaced LaDainian Tomlinson with him. The, the Chargers screw up a lot of things, but they know when to move on from a running back. They know how to properly value a running back. From what I've read, it sounds like they're giving him $10 million a year, and he's turning it down. Did you see the video from last year of Melvin Gordon talking about Le'Veon Bell, and he agreed with Le'Veon's holdout strategy, and Le'Veon sat out the whole year. So Melvin's got a pretty unique view of himself, and he clearly thinks that he's worth more than what the Chargers are offering. And the Chargers aren't going to change what they're offering to get him in camp because he just he's good, but the injuries play a role, and I don't know how much longer he's going to be able to keep this up. And now he's not going to participate in training camp. So whenever he does come back, he's not going to be – we can't look at him the same way and say, oh, yeah, everything's going to be fine. Melvin Gordon's back to being you know, the, the fifth-best running back in fantasy. Can't say that anymore. He could come back and tweak a hamstring or strain his knee, and next thing you know, he's out for three or four games, which you can't put past Melvin Gordon. I want nothing to do with him. Dave, I love that you said that because I went back and I put all the, the running back holdouts in a spreadsheet, contract disputes included, <laughs> all put, put them all in a spreadsheet. It turns out that the median missed games due to a holdout for those backs, and, and granted, it's only about, I think, 18 or so. It's, it's not a ton um, going back since the, they went to a 16-game season, but the median missed games is zero. Uh, most running backs who do miss games due to a holdout, which is you know maybe a, a quarter of them, only miss, you know, they miss under five games. Most of them are missing two or less. However, they're missing 30% more games due to injury than your average back. So it's evening out to the point to where, yeah, you're exactly right. These guys aren't practicing with the team. They're not working out. They're not playing. And I guess that's a concern for Gurley, too, who's really not going to do much in the preseason, which is why we are looking at, okay, he was unleashed in the joint practice. And that's like newsworthy because when, you, when these running backs don't practice and they're just you, you're taking so many hits that I think it just opens you up to more injuries. So. Yeah, it's a different situation than Bell a little bit because Gordon, um, if he's not going to be back, you know, he could get fined essentially um, every day. And he, if he's not going to be back with the team, um, you know, sometimes when you re-sign a guy to the same team, you know, they kind of just waive the fines. But um, I don't know how that would work if he doesn't come back to the Chargers next year and just sits out the whole year. Um, Bell was not signed because he didn't sign his, his, his franchise tender. And so he wasn't incurring any type of, of fines or any, anything for, for, for then sitting out and leaving. So different situation, but I, I agree. I think the missed game risk is enough that I don't want anything to do uh, with Gordon at this point. Uh, all right, let's go a little quicker just to, you know, a couple more things that I think people want to know about the, the, these top 50 uh, quarterback. We all know what the upside of Mahomes is because we saw it last year. So just, I'm just going to go to each of you guys. Just tell me the earliest round you would draft Mahomes in, in, in a regular, you know, 10 or 12 team uh, league. Uh, Dave, I'll start with you. Four. Sean. Uh, for me, drafting five, but if someone takes him in round three, I think that's about right. Yeah. Same here for me. It's like, I gotta, I gotta have, I think two, you know, two guys at each position, two studs at, at running back and receiver. And then to feel and be, be feeling pretty good about taking Mahomes. It's just, you know, it, it, we know what the upside is, but if you're starting only one quarterback, you're going to be able to capture enough of that value later on that, that it's just so much more valuable to have these studs at, at running back and wide receiver. Uh, let's get into these, these third and fourth rounds. We talked a lot about the, our strategies over these first couple of rounds, how we got these guys ranked. Dave, I'll start with you. Just a couple of guys in the third and fourth, you know, early fifth, that top 50, um, that you are targeting to kind of build around the studs that you drafted in rounds one and two? 
I like Cooper Cup if I can get him as close to 50th as possible. I, I think he's going to be better than Robert Woods this year. I think Cooks is probably going to be the best one of the three. Cooks has the track record. Consistency isn't really there for him, but he's either going to be great for your team or he's going to disappoint you a little bit. But I, I, I understand why Cooks is going to go first. But I think Cup picks up where he left off. We know that he's practicing in full. He's going to be that red zone guy for the Rams. Uh, I, I think he's got a chance to keep the touchdowns coming for him. Uh, Calvin Ridley's another receiver that I like a lot. I'm finding him after 50th overall, so maybe he doesn't quite apply to the conversation. But I do have him ranked as a top 50 wide receiver. And it just goes back to what I was saying about the Falcons, how I believe that they're going to be um, very pass-heavy this year uh, in a lot of high-scoring games. And playing opposite Julio Jones is typically a really good thing. And I'll give you three running backs that I would consider in the top 50, again, toward the end of that top 50. Chris Carson with the Seahawks, Montgomery with the Bears, and Mark Ingram with the Ravens. And I, I can't quite get a firm grip on how I want to rank them. I know I like Carson the best of the three, and I think I like Montgomery a little bit more than Ingram, but I could see myself flipping those two. I don't like that Ingram's 29, but I love the spot that he's in. The fact that the Ravens are going to be certainly run-focused, if not run-heavy. He's got room on his odometer for one more big carry season, and I think you know Lamar Jackson will probably steal like five or six short-yardage touchdowns from him along the way, but it doesn't mean that he can't catch a couple and maybe run for five or six of his own. So it's a, it's a real close call between them, but I like all three of those running backs better than guys like Philip Lindsay, better than Melvin Gordon, better than Sonny Michelle, and as long as he's hurt, better than Derrick Henry. Yeah, Chris Carson is really that guy for me. I mean, 20.5 touches per game from week three on. You know, the first couple of weeks they were kind of feeling things out with, with the rotation, but they love him in Seattle. And when he's healthy, he, they love him even in the past game as a blocker, even if he's not going to catch. I mean, Rashad Penny only had one target on third or fourth down last year. Didn't really play at all in the playoffs. So, so I think he'll be involved, but I think Carson is that lead guy. Uh, Sean, how about you? Guys, you're, you're targeting in rounds three, four, and early fifth. So for me, I have it broken down, you know, based on draft pick. I think if you have an early pick round three, you're typically trying to lock in those two, the two top remaining um, wide receivers from the uh, lower end of wide receiver one or high end wide receiver two, because you already have your stud uh, running back. So you're loading up on receiver there. Then mid round, I think that's where uh, George Kittle and Zach Ertz should go. So if you have a middle third round pick, no matter what you were doing in the first two rounds, you go and scoop up one of those guys. And then at the end of round three, uh, you have my my dream slot where I already have two stud receivers, and then I'm just attacking you know whatever running backs are available in this uh, RB2 tier like uh, Josh Jacobs, Kerryon Johnson, Marlon Mack, Derrick Henry. Give me any of those guys at the end of round three, and then round four is actually pretty interesting. That's that's essentially just you know taking position positional need I think round four should just be running backs and wide receivers you know someone will reach for uh, QB there but just let them do it uh, I think right there depending on your ratio of running back to receivers you're just locking in your second starter from the opposite position so you know guys like Devontae Freeman Derek Henry Aaron Jones all fall there uh, re receivers like Chris Godwin uh, Robert Woods I'm all about getting those guys if, if I need a receiver. So I think round four is where you start to get flexible, but it's typically based on uh, what position you're in need of. Yeah, I think that's where I'm at too. I, I really love that kind of back end of that top 20 running backs in rounds three and four, your, your Henry's, your, your Josh Jacobs is guys like that. I think at that range, if you can kind of double up on those guys, um, it, it opens up a lot. So you can kind of do that from almost the middle of the draft on. All right. Uh, last question before we get out of here, Dave, 
somebody you're fading completely that's being drafted with a top 50 ADP. I am worried about Devontae Freeman hmm. being back to the guy that he was three years ago. That if you're, if you're drafting him as high as some people are drafting him. Last time I checked, the Falcons, I, they're happy to have him, and they're going to make him their starter. But in his last 14 games, when he was healthy, on the field, participating, I know Tevin Coleman was there. He had 15 or fewer touches in 10 of those games. In those 14 games, he had five total touchdowns. He had one 100-yard game. In 2017, the last time he played a lot, he had eight plays of 20-plus yards. He had 232 touches. He's 27 years old. He doesn't have 834 career carries because he missed so much of last season. And I still have a thought in my mind that the Falcons, even with Edo Smith playing like crap in the Hall of Fame game, and so someone's going to come along, whether it's Brian Hill, Padre Allison, maybe Edo gets his act together, and they're going to use two backs. I'm not certain that Devontae Freeman's going to go right back to being 18 to 20 touches per game and to be that dude for the Falcons' offense, given the team's concern about him staying healthy and given his own health, I, I think the, the Falcons have to be concerned about him staying upright and effective for 16 weeks. Sean, how about you? Anyone you're baiting in top 50? I keep saying Damian Williams, if there were a frozen pond this year, he'd be the lone guy. We all remember his four-week stretch last year where he started once they let go of Kareem Hunt, and he was absolutely amazing. Going into this year, he could start with a similar role, getting around 15-plus touches a game. I think we're just kind of letting his ceiling cloud our memory right now. He's just the guy I urge caution of. I still have him ranked RB13, and that's typically where he's going. But just the downside with him is so prominent that we're even seeing it start to unfold in, in, in training camp. He's been missing camp due to this hamstring injury, and Andy Reid, I guess, is starting to get frustrated. So Carlos Hyde's been stepping in and then you still have rookie Darwin Thompson that's going to, you know, threaten. So we're kind of already seeing the worst case scenario already starts to unfold, which is a little bit earlier than I thought we'd see it. So it's just making me shy away from even more. And then remember that we were able to add Damian Williams in like week 12 or 13 last year. There's going to be guys like that at the end of the year that we can snag. Um, so, you know, spending round two, round three capital on a guy like that just is kind of a waste in my opinion. So he's been the player I've been fading the most in the first few rounds. For me, it's Kenny Galladay. Uh, there's a lot of guys you can kind of get that are similar to him. A little bit later on in the draft, guys like Alshon Jeffrey, Allen Robinson, uh, Galladay with Marvin Jones back. It kind of creates a situation where you have two guys downfield threats. I just don't know if the weekly consistency will be there the same way it was um, this past season. Um, th that's where I'm at. But uh, listeners are going to love this, Dave. So I really thank you for joining us. And I want you to tell everybody where they can find you and what you're working on throughout this fantasy season. On Twitter, it's at Dave Richard, all one word. Uh, you can even Google Dave Richard and you'll find everything that I've written. You'll find an archive and you can hear me on the Fantasy Football Today podcast. And we, we've started a new streaming service. It's live 24-7, 365 called CBS Sports HQ. It's sports news, highlights, smart analysis, a lot of fantasy talk, a lot of gambling talk. So if you're just looking for something to put on in the background, or if there's breaking sports news and you want instant reaction, all you have to do is either download the free CBS Sports app or anything that has Wi-Fi, go to cbssportshq.com. You click a button and you're streaming. It costs nothing and lots of really good stuff that'll make you a smarter sports fan. So there you go, folks. Go check that out. Dave Richard, CBS Sports. Check out CBS Sports HQ. You know where to find me. I'm at Chris Raybon. You know where to find Sean. He's at 
the underscore odds maker on Twitter. Check out actionnetwork.com for our fantasy football tool for 2019. Cheat Sheet Builder, you can find all of our projections. You can select um, one or all of our expert projections and get all the stats um, that we're projecting. You can input your league settings, all that good stuff. So be sure to check that out on actionnetwork.com. Download the Action Network app, and we'll be back at you later in the week. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care.